Hello and welcome to the Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of Big Ten Network, and this week's guests are Blake Hayes from Illinois Football and Harold Shelton, Manager of Research for Big Ten Network. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! Oh my goodness, what a catch! Oh Energy, my enthusiasm. All right, before we get to Illinois punter Blake Hayes, quick word from our sponsor, Northwestern University School of Professional Studies. You can build a solid foundation in the strategic, creative, and analytic skills that are essential for success in the business of sports in the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu sports. Thanks, as always, to our sponsor, putting on a great program at Northwestern. Um, the master's program, great for somebody who wants to work in sports, work at a place like Big Ten Network. Definitely check that out if that appeals to you. All right. Like I mentioned, guest is Blake Hayes, Illinois punter by way of Australia, Melbourne, Australia. Interesting dude. Guy who's blew up social media more than a handful of times over the years, uh, not only because he's a great punter, but um, just a fun guy to follow. He's had some funny fakes over the years some celebrations that we ask him about and just talk about his path to the, the States path to uh, eventually, hopefully the NFL as he's trains now, as his Illinois career has uh, come to a close and just get to know overall a, a very fun guy in general. So great discussion with Blake Hayes of the Illini and we'll get right to it. To take 10 podcast discussion with Blake Hayes. All right. I'm very pleased to be joined by an all big 10 punter from Illinois probably seen him on our social media accounts maybe on pat mcafee's social media accounts he's an australian all-star special teamer it's blake hayes blake how you doing man good thank you thanks for the introduction yeah i mean only the finest introductions for fellow Illini like myself so i uh, had to had to do it extra big for you absolutely thanks for having me yeah for sure so first off blake um i'm curious because i don't even really know the shame on me for not following uh, the news as closely as I should, but are you done at Illinois, correct? Because you had five years under your belt there. So are you moving on now to the NFL after this? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm done playing. Uh, I was lucky enough to get that COVID year. So I I did start my freshman year and then went through, got that COVID year. So that was my fifth and final year. And, uh, yeah, now just in Champaign training for, uh, for the pro day and all those things to come for the NFL. Yeah. I figured that was the case, but you know, with COVID year, like you said, and all the fifth and sixth year seniors we're seeing college sports right now, I couldn't be too sure. So glad to get that update. Um, and for you, you know, you're relatively young by Aussie punter standards. I feel like, you know, I I've talked to, uh, guys like Wade Lee's before on the pod and they're a little yeah. older, so you're still, uh, still pretty young. What, what are you going to do from now until, the NFL draft you're going to train in Champaign the whole time you're going to head somewhere else what's the uh, next few months look like for you yeah I'll be training in Champaign with uh coach Tank um he's awesome we've already got in stuck into a couple sessions we just actually like kick-started it yesterday um kind of the official training so we got stuck into that um just had our second day today um and then yeah just going around uh punting catching up with a few of the other Aussies as well getting some training in um and yeah just really just 
locking in with uh, our snappers here as well, Ethan. So that would be really good uh, to get that operation going, especially for pro day. So yeah, just trying to, you know, improve on my uh, weaknesses and um, make those strengths even stronger uh, throughout the off season. So put me in the best uh, position for the NFL. Yeah. It seems like you're part of a couple, at least a couple tight knit special teams communities, obviously the Aussie punter community is real close. And then it seems like you guys at Illinois had a, a tight group as big 10 special teams units tend to be uh, guys called yourselves the lads and you had James McCourt from overseas as well in Ireland. Uh, just take me through kind of the, the branding of your guys' group and how it evolved as you guys uh, got together. I know Ethan as well has been a funny guy for us doing some, some stunts for us over the years. Yeah. James and Ethan have been, uh, been here since they actually got here a year before me. So, uh, as soon as I rolled in, they welcomed me with open arms. Um, and they've been here f- like for the whole time and been really supportive. So we've been really close and, uh, our special teams, our KPS room, um, has always been really small. We've only had like six, maybe seven guys max. Um, where like other schools will have like, four kickers, four punters, four snappers. We've only had like two of each really. So naturally you just get really close to each other. And obviously through a football season, a lot of adversity, a lot of, uh, you know, challenges and you just become stronger through that. Uh, so yeah, we got pretty close. And then uh, the lads uh, that came about through coach B, um, he came to me and James and kind of, wanted to I guess up our marketability because we were both foreign uh, we came up we were trying to figure out names we came up with some pretty stupid ones like I was a big fan of uh, foreign legislation uh, so that was just a couple and we we actually spoke about it with uh, there was an Australian on the team he graduated in 2018 I believe uh, Zach Holman he was a wide receiver receiver in safety uh and he was kind of part of like the lads like the initial kind of movement uh before we really thought of anything of it so yeah coach b came to us and uh we kind of presented him with the lads and he loved it so we just rolled forward with that and it, it seemed to uh seemed to like grab on a little bit through the season which was cool love it yeah you got to have your branding on point in the name image and likeness era so well done there um, we'll talk a little bit more about some Illini on-field memories, but uh, I wanted to get into, because you, I saw you've been posting about it recently, um, your involvement with Connor's run and, and your involvement in fighting, looks like uh, pediatric brain cancer, and it looks like you're part of a, a larger movement. I was looking into it a little bit, but I want you to, to fill us in on what goes into that, your, your personal connection to it, and how listeners can get involved, because it looks like an awesome cause. Yeah, so uh, Connor's Run is a part of the Robert Connor Dawes Foundation, which, uh, so there was a, a student from my high school um, who was diagnosed with pre- pediatric brain cancer and passed away at the age of 18. And uh, yeah, his story um, became uh, really well known in the community. Um, and his mother, Liz Dawes, uh, founded the Robert Connor Dawes Foundation, which raises money for pediatric brain cancer. It's the number one disease killer for children. Um, so initially she started the foundation and, uh, had an event called Connor's run, which was to give some backstory. Connor was on the rowing team at school. Um, and I also was as well. So there was a connection there. Um, his story was, uh, told a lot, uh, in the rowing community at school. 
Um, so the Connors run, the initial run is from uh, his house to the boat sheds in the city, which is 18 kilometers, uh, probably, I don't know, like seven miles. I don't really know miles, but um, it's a long run. And so uh, that's the kind of fun run that they do. They have a shortened version, but yeah, from uh, from there to the city is the run that he would do. And uh, that's when they started doing that in September uh, to raise some funds. And, you know, it got a little traction at the start in the first few years. It raised a decent amount of money. And then recently, like they've just been smashing it like over a million dollars, million and a half. Um, it's probably over two now. So, yeah, with that, um, you know, last year I started talking about it a little bit and sharing it with uh, local media outlets and, um, you know, they were really great. They got on board. Um, I had a, you know, just like a donation page set up um, kind of with tied in with Illinois football and then uh, going into my senior year, like my final year, uh, I wanted to do something a bit bigger and uh, really use my platform. Uh, so uh, what I pushed was, uh, every inside 20, every punt that I put inside 20 was $15. Um, and then I, my plan was to get, uh, kind of send that out and then get people to match it or get people to like up the ante a little bit. So one, uh, a line I remember came and, um, offered to match $30 for every inside five. And I would also do 30 bucks inside, inside the 10, sorry. So I did that, um, ended up getting X amount of inside 20s, which equaled $615 for the year. Um, and then had a bunch of people match that end total. Just recently, I had Coach Bilma, um donate $1,000 of his own money. Uh, so we were able to raise over $6,000. Um, and yeah, the I mean, the links are um, on my social media pages and um, I'm sure they're tweeted out through Illinois football. Um, I've kind of like, I guess, closed the donation window just with the end of college football season, but it's always open um, for donations and anything like that if, if anyone wants to support the cause. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing cause and it looks like it is re a recurring thing year over year, right? So yeah, yeah. people can always stay engaged. Uh, that's awesome. And, and, you know, obviously using your, your platform to make a difference is, is what I've seen a lot of college athletes doing, you know, with the, not only the NIL, but with their platforms and, um, you know, appreciate you doing that and sharing. Um, you also mentioned, you know, that you were a rower back overseas. Um, I'm just curious, how did you stumble upon American football? I know it's, it's a regular thing now for Australian punters to come over, but what were your sports you played growing up? How did this become maybe uh, apparent to you? And then how yeah. did you realize, oh, I might be able to actually do this for my education and career? Yeah. Uh, I mean, growing up, I played a lot of sports, like with school, we were put into a bunch of sports. So, but the main ones, um, I mean, the main sport I played was footy as we call it, or, um, AFL as it's referred to in the pros. Um, essentially you pass the ball by foot, very similar shape to American football. Um, and it's played on a big field. So I really grew up uh, kicking the football, um, just like the punts that you kind of see on the field, especially from Australians. So uh, just like Americans grow up throwing, we, we grew up kicking. Uh, so yeah, I played that sport uh, all the way till I was uh, 18. And uh, when I was around 17, um, you get drafted out of high school. So it really became that time where 
you kind of had to decide if you were like fully committed to the process of trying to go pro or whether it was something you did recreationally. And I kind of lost a bit of love for the sport, uh, turned a little bit like individual for me and lost the team aspect going through the, I guess the showcase leagues that they have back home. Um, so initially kind of as a, a segue, I wanted to, um, come over here, come over to the U S just for a semester abroad, like try something different. Um, I didn't want to go straight into university back home. And then, uh, you know, I looked into it more, I tried getting like a, an academic scholarship that was impossible. I had to be like a genius for that. Um, and then my school teacher, um, Mr. Lewis, actually, he just like randomly came to me. He knew that I was kind of looking at the US and he approached me um, with a company called Pro Kick Australia with Nathan Chapman and John Smith. Um, and he said, you should go give it a look. They, uh, they place guys in the US, um, like 95% of them on scholarship uh, to, you know, big schools. And at first, like it, kind of seemed a little weird uh they were they were somewhat small when I joined uh I feel like they were just starting to get a like get a groove and start kind of dishing out big schools um and yeah I kind of went for an assessment they said they thought that I had the ability and then I kind of made the decision to step away from footy um and start going all in on uh on my punting so went from there and then two years later essentially um ended up in Illinois and it was I mean it's just like it's crazy to look back on it and reflect but it was definitely one of the best decisions I made yeah I remember my first exposure to footy or AFL um it was during like early-ish COVID maybe summer of 2020 and my friends uh maybe had you know we're looking for something to wager on and, and it was the middle of the night here and we got some stream somehow of uh AFL and and they were going nuts uh, just watching, trying to learn the rules, but also trying yeah. to figure out if it was good for their their bank accounts. So it was, it was electric. <laughs> yeah, it's complex. One of my uh, one of my best mates, um, Andrew McGrath, he was the number one draft pick in that sport. Uh, he plays for Essendon, so I don't really follow it, but I kind of follow him. Um, and yeah, it's pretty cool to see him doing well in that league. Yeah, definitely. And and like I said, when we were learning the rules for the first time, it was, it was pretty electric, you know, yeah. if they're going to kick it or uh, I don't know, something about the, the officials too, like signaling the, that it was good. was, I remember pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Iconic. They got like, uh, they did that one. Mm-hmm, the point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what it was. That was awesome. Uh, yeah. I think they needed to adopt that somehow in an American uh, yeah. ref <laughs> uh, procedures. So, um, all right, Blake. So I'm curious also like expanding on that. You mentioned the placement process and, um, you know, being somebody who also chose to go to Illinois just for social aspect, pretty much, but you were, you were looking for, uh, athletics, obviously. How did you choose Illinois? Was it just like a match or did you actually have like a, a list of schools and then you eventually decided? Um, it was, it was kind of the complete opposite of what they do over here. So with that pro kick Australia group that I was talking about, um, they really just like match you up based on kind of ability, personality, uh, fit. Um, I also like really wanted to come to the US for academics. That was really my main priority. Um, football, honestly, was kind of like, I was kind of using football to get my academics. And then I kind of realized that like football is a lot bigger than I knew um, at the time. But yeah, so uh, 
I guess to get like a little uh, specific, I, I didn't really roll out. Uh, I didn't really rugby style punt. Um, when I was training, I just did kind of traditional um, American spiral, as they call it, which is the one like that I really only do um, in Illinois. And the coach at the time, uh, Coach League, he was running a pro style punt scheme, which really doesn't allow for a rugby style punt. So that fit really well because I didn't train the rugby style um, and also like personality um, and things like that. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into it, but yeah, I never, I never had a list of schools. It was, I got a call from my Australian coach and he was like, Oh, we got Illinois coach on the line. We're going to put you there. And like, you just have trust in them. It, it sounds a little weird, but yeah, you just have trust in them because you explain what you want. I explained that I wanted a great academic school with, you know, kind of equal football, like on a big stage. I didn't think I'd like play on such a big stage like this, but um, yeah, they really just fit you in with the right school. Yeah, it really is fascinating. And, you know, I think you you fit into kind of this renaissance of punters being cool, you know, like it helps that you are an excellent punter, you know, like we mentioned your, your qualifications or accolades and all that. And, and that has helped you and other punters, you know, kind of gain that exposure. But really, I think you've come up in kind of the, the era of Pat McAfee, right. Where the position has been rebranded, so to speak. Um, what do you, what do you think about, you know, you kind of stumbling into the sport, you know, by obviously your skill, but you didn't know, you didn't know the scale of it. And then also at the same time, it's, it's been a resurgence of this position with social media really amplifying so many of your accomplishments on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's funny. When I first got here, like uh, my first year, so my first game that I played in was like the first ever game uh, that I had actually played in. And uh, it was the first game that I'd ever seen in person. So it was wild. I had no idea what, what was going on. Uh, my first year was really just like just getting used to it. Um, it was a little bit of a blur. And I think it was a blessing because like we played at Ohio State and like I, I knew they were like, obviously, I knew they were a good team, but I, I didn't obviously, I wasn't too familiar with the history and how historically great they are. And then I didn't really understand the big time players they had like, I was punting to a guy that got drafted. I I got like a picture of a of a guy diving over my legs who like was a second pick in the draft, and like I had no idea who those guys were at the time just because I I didn't know. Um, so yeah, I think it was almost like a blessing because I was just kind of going about it like it was a typical game. And then um, yeah, like you said, as you go through your career, like the standard increases, uh, the big 10 is, it's so competitive, especially this year. It was crazy to see um, how good everyone is. And you really just, each year you have to improve, um, you know, the, like each year everyone gets better and better and punting wise, especially with the more traction that it gets um, like Pat McAfee has done a great job of bringing, um, awareness to the position and it also brings uh I guess like a new spark to the position and guards are doing different things like you look at like I'm friends with the Rutgers punter he's a he's a true rugby style punter and it's totally different to what I do but he's like I'd say he's like perfect at it where you look at 
someone like Jordan Stout at Penn State. He's a traditional spiral guy. Their stats really basically match up at the end of the season, but two different types of punting styles. Um, and it's just great to see, uh, I guess, Americans adopting, I guess, the Australian way of punting, more rugby style, and then uh, Australians trying to get on the American wave of traditional spiraling. So it's great competition, and it really brings out the best in everyone. Yeah, for sure. I remember we one year when we were still going around to like every campus in the preseason, we had a Big Ten challenge almost where each specialist would kind of challenge the next crew. So that was a good time and kind of shows the, the tight-knit nature of that position group. Um, one more mention of McAfee. I don't want to give him too much credit, but um, I saw he has tweeted about you. Has he ever reached out to you, uh, you know, maybe get on the show? Any, any uh, direct communication? I was on the show actually in uh, 2020. Um, I had – I had that uh, fake punt against Nebraska where I was running all over the place and looked like a bit of a fool. Um, But yeah, it was after that. um, And I was able to get on his show, which is funny because at the time, honestly, I I didn't really watch his show and I wasn't too aware of it. Um, And then I was on it and I didn't really tell anyone. And then it was like put on social media. And like a few of the guys in the team are going crazy. They're like, oh, you're on Pat McAfee's show. Like, that's wild. I was like, yeah, like, I don't know. And then like now I'm a huge fan of it. Like I watch it all the time um, and it's such a good show. And it's cool that he was able to bring me on um, to talk about that because, you know, he does like we did talk about a little bit of like the punting and what I saw as a player, why I decided to run. And he went through a couple of old punts as well. And it was cool just to like bring on a college guy, you know, it's something that he doesn't have to do, but he did it anyway. And uh, yeah, I, I really like what he's doing. Yeah. I definitely remember that play. And I do now vaguely remember you going on that show. Uh, I definitely remember the social media surge that happened after that play as well. I, I call it like a controller glitch kind of, you know, you, you're yeah, not giving yourself yeah. enough credit. You said you were a fool, but you, you got a first down on it. I know, uh, what, yeah. what went through your head, uh, you know, when you, you saw kind of the seas part for you and, and the chance to run? Because it wasn't a design fake, right? No, it wasn't. So, like, they they came out with a, with a look that kind of told me that they were going to play, we call it a hold-up. So, they, they weren't going to rush me, so I had time to punt it. And uh, I like to hold on to it if they don't rush and so my guys can get down there and then – like no one ended up rushing because normally they bring someone just to let you kick it, but no one ended up coming. So um, like I started like running one, one way and I was like, oh, that's, that's probably not going to work. And then I, for some reason, like saw the whole side of the field open and I scrambled that way and I started running. I'm like, oh, like I'm like actually running for a first down. Like I should probably check where the down marker is. And that's where I did that kind of glitch because I thought for like a split second that I could take a step back, back across the line and punt it again. And then like, I couldn't. So I'd looked for the down marker. It said fourth and eight. It was like the electronic one. And I just prayed that I had ran eight yards and just got out of there. Yeah. We're going to show a clip alongside this so people can see what right. we're talking. they haven't seen. I'm sure everyone remembers, but yeah, uh, that was an all time great Blake Hayes moment. And you've had some, you know, actual punts, obviously that, that were iconic as well. I know one uh, hit the pylon that, that one took off. Um, 
but I think your your most uh, shared moment on social media this year was the the Minnesota game, right? Where you right leaned into the the celebration part of it, rode the boat with your fake oar, and then snapped the oar over your knee. Was that like pre-planned, or um, was that kind of an in the moment type thing? Uh, it was pre-planned. Um, it was the night before. Actually, we we were um, we were lucky enough to they let us onto the field. They let the specialists on the field like the night before the game just kind of like feel out the field, see what the weather's doing. Um, and we were like in the tunnels and there was a bunch of oars in there. And don't get me wrong. I actually love like the row, the row, the boat slogan. I, I'm a big fan of like culture and in sports. So I love what he does. And we kind of came, we thought about it for a game winning field goal uh, just because obviously punters don't really have like those moments. Um, and yeah, we just kind of talked about it and then, uh, I don't know. It just happened. I had the pun. I kind of knew the situation and I'm actually looking at our kicker when I do it because we spoke about it. So, uh, it was fun. It was something, uh, I understand that, uh, it may be like a little bit disrespectful, um, which yeah, I've kind of recognized that, but, um, yeah, it's just all in competitive nature, I guess. I think it's all fair game. Yeah. And, and, People make fun of the row the boat thing with Minnesota and, it, and you know, with the slogan that's going to happen. I think they do donate a lot of the oars or they send them to like, you know, cancer yeah. patients, things like that. So it's a, you're right. It's, it's something that is harmless. And I think it's harmless to make fun of as well. And, and uh, well done on the, the celebration there. Um, Blake, just wrapping up here, wanted to get a couple of thoughts on uh, the future for Illinois football, even though you won't be a part of it on the field. Um, you mentioned coach Bielema and his, his branding acumen and, uh, you know, obviously he's got a, an eye for that and pretty good first year as well. Um, wondering what your first impressions were of him and how those either changed or strengthened as your year with him went along, uh, in the year or so since he's been hired. Yeah. First impressions, um, just a, really like a, a man that like knows what he wants and understands what it takes to win in the big 10. Um, I think when you look at the big 10, you look at teams like Wisconsin, which he, which he coached, obviously, uh, like Iowa. They're all just like, I guess the word that comes to mind is like gritty. Like they, they run the ball phenomenally, phenomenally and they, they're able to kind of set up their passing game off that. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like day one, what he came in with. He wanted to be a Big Ten team that pushed for those Big Ten championships. And obviously, it's very hard to flip it overnight. Um, you can't just walk in and say that you want to do it and then do it the next year. But um, throughout the year, he's just been the same guy. Like what he tells the media, he tells us word for word, which is something that um, I really admire. Um, and, you know, he's just transparent. He's a guy that you can just walk into his office and um, just chat about things not related to football um, or you can get really deep into the X's and O's and um, something that I loved as a, as a punter was uh, he was super involved on special teams, especially on the punt scheme. We would talk a lot about like what, what I thought of like the punt return scheme that way you call what we could improve. Um, and, you know, we really valued our feedback. And I think a lot of that, like James success and Ethan's success this year is, 
has really come down to him and the coaches that he brought in uh, special teams wise. I can't really speak on offense and defense, but yeah, he's just brought in a great culture. Um, I'd say, I'd say for me, um, I had way more fun. Like it was just so much fun. Um, and couldn't imagine like how much more fun it would have been with more wins, but we had some great wins in there. Um, and just some really tight losses, which I think is promising uh, for the future. I think coaching wise it's they're in great hands um and I'm really excited to see what they do yeah love that insight so i appreciate that um i've rattled off a few of my favorite moments of your career on obviously with some of these questions but i'm curious if you have any to add when you reflect on your career now uh either games or, or moments whether it was your punts or your teammates uh, accomplishments on the field what, what kind of sticks out to you when you reflect yeah there's a few i mean Punt wise, like it doesn't really get like uh, noticed much, but there was a punt I had against Nebraska in 2019. Um, basically, like the game clock was winding down, and I gave the set call, and everyone rushed, and I got it out quickly, and it was a good punt. It's something that like kind of gets overlooked, but for me, it was um, a punt that really like solidified the film through the week and the drills that you do situationally. Um, kind of all came out on the field. Um, there's some like classic moments, just bus rides uh, to games, um, just with some of the guys. Um, you spoke about like other players' achievements. I think of uh, James McCord, obviously hitting the field goal. Um, Chase behind me, uh, he was such a legend here. And then guys like that, you know, work their tail off um, that may not ever step on the field, but they do. Um, I mentioned Zach Holman before. He got on some kickoffs he got out there wide receiver one game um and those guys that you know they call it whatever they call it garbage time or whatever but those guys work really hard for their spot and you know they get the opportunity and they make the most of it of it and it's so good to see them just like work so hard for it and get their opportunity to go out in the field for sure well said and uh one last question i guess about your career and it's not even about a real game because um, it was just kind of all speculation, but were you following or were you guys aware as a team and as an individual about the potential bowl uh, replacement in the, the Jacksonville tax slayer bowl Rutgers ended up getting it, but I know Illinois fans really wanted you guys to get that spot. Were you hoping for another game for your career? Were you like on top of it or, or how did that whole like thing play out in the group chats and, and in the rumor mill? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think coach B tweeted that like he was by his phone. So he was interested in like, um, yeah, with that, like the coaches were like, you guys want to play. And I mean, I can't speak for anyone else, but uh, I was all in. I wanted to play like really badly. Um, it would have been so much fun. Um, it would have been very interesting to see how our team would have gone on like a week notice. I think that would have played into the fun aspect. Um, probably may have been a sloppy game. Um, I don't know how well you can prepare a team when you, they've been off for three weeks and they just put it together in a week. Um, but I definitely know the staff like ours and Coach B at the helm, um, you know, it would have been possible and we would have been raring to go. Um, it would have been so much fun, but obviously didn't get the opportunity, but um, hopefully the team has uh, some bowl games in the future. Yep. All right. Two uh, questions remaining. These are both non-football questions, so I want to get your uh, your opinion on some 
U.S. culture here. And you mentioned some of the culture shocks on the field, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, as you traveled around the country and the Big Ten, um, some of these stadiums, some of these other college towns, do you have like a top two or three culture shock moment, whether that it's something about, you know, the food? Um, I remember we were in Miami a couple of weeks ago and, and the media got like a police escort to the stadium. And I was like, this is way over the top. This is stupid, but it, it was funny. Um, anything that just kind of was a culture shock to you, if you have uh, uh, two or three things you look back on. Yeah. I mean, like you said, a police get escort to a game, like obviously we get them. That was just like, what are we doing? Like, this is a bit over the top. And then obviously going to like sold out stadiums, even like this year we played at Penn state, like 105,000. You just like pinch yourself. Like it's just crazy to think that people are so invested, but it makes a lot of sense when you go through it and you're an alumni. Um, also like fast food, it's like ubiquitous over here. Um, it's crazy. Um, but I guess kind of like classic America. Um, and then I guess for me, like I grew up on a beach. So coming to Illinois, like a lot of cornfields and that. It's just a big culture shock, but um, kind of grown to like it a little bit. It's nice and like quiet out here. Not too, not a whole lot to do. It's not like a bustling city or anything, or it's not like a downtown Chicago, but it's pretty nice out here. I like it. Yeah, downtown Chicago where I sit right now and you hear sirens. Uh, I don't know if it came through on the podcast, but I did grow up in Champaign, so I, I know both sides of what you're talking about. So last question, you mentioned food. Uh, you got any top food spots in Champaign that, that you lean on uh, over the last few years? Yeah, um, kind of a classic spot, Biagi's. It's really the go-to, like, whenever. Um, it's just, like, you can't miss with that. It's always good food. Um Shout out a little local spot. It's called Golden Wheat on Green Street. It's good noodles there. Um, and then dessert. I mean, you can't go wrong with Custard Cup or Jarlings, however people call it. Um, it's a classic spot. Good ice cream there. All right, solid choices. I've not heard of number two, so I'm going to have to check that out. Biagi's, always a classic uh, yep. spot with the family. I think we went to, like, some pre-homecoming part, you know, like group – dates there yeah. i guess you could call it growing up in high school yeah. um so you're on point with that blake uh kept you long enough but i appreciate all the insight it's a really fun discussion um best of luck obviously going forward but uh you know what i what little i know about special teams and watching your punts over the last four or five years you'll have a long successful career in the nfl so rooting for you maybe come to the bears replace pat o'donnell when he's ready to hang up thank you very much thanks for having me all right. Thanks again to Blake for joining me. Um, I hope we can be considered mates or lads now or whatever you want to call it. Uh, definitely a fun guy to talk to, get to know, especially somebody who's watched him closely for the last four or five years. Um, best of luck to him, and I'm sure some NFL team could use his services immediately uh, in the 2022 season. All right. Getting to Harold Shelton now. is. Uh, I've had on had him on very regularly over the last several years. He's been a great resource to talk to about all things Big Ten basketball and football. Uh, he's the Big Ten manager of research, but also is uh, very skilled at talking about these sports, explaining trends, explaining matchups and concepts. And we talked to him about uh, the end of the Big Ten or the end of the college football season, how, what it kind of means for Big Ten football um, going forward, and also 
a uh, some Big Ten schedule news that come out came out this week, um, along with a lot of Big Ten basketball talk to close out the show. Um, we're a quarter way through the Big Ten season right now. Most teams have played five or so games, and the conference race is starting to shape up. So a lot to talk about. Got a lot of stars in the league this year. Star power is high. So get into some of the scoring title races, Big Ten player of the year races, and just break down the league as a whole. Um, fun discussion, especially if you're a big-time Big Ten basketball fan like myself. So get right to it. It's Take Ten Podcast discussion with Harold Shelton. All right, very pleased to re- be rejoined by Harold Shelton, Big Ten Network Manager of Research. As always, H is here to fill us in on all things Big Ten hoops and football as we uh, wrap up the football season. H, what's up, man? Not much, man. How we doing? Happy New Year. I know it's January 12th, but I think the first time I've been on the pod since 2022 hit, so Happy New Year. It is. We'll let it slide. I know uh, Larry David had the rule on Curb Your Enthusiasm that January 7th was a cutoff, but like you haven't seen someone I'll, I'll reciprocate that happy new year and um yeah i mean i think we've we've got a little break from the frigid temperatures here in chicago i just went on a run today and it's like 40 degrees which feels like tropical weather right now yeah definitely glad to see that these uh <laughs> these, these subarctic temperatures that we've had have been real dicey um it's been hard to to get out of my garage and into the alley it's just been sheets of ice and it's uh it's been a problem <laughs> to say the least I mean, just remember, it wasn't that long ago when all Big Ten teams had to worry about was weather, you know, disrupting their scheduling. And then now we've had our share of COVID cancellations for the second year in a row, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely been unfortunate. You hope that um, this isn't a sign of things to come. I know we had a bunch like in December. It hadn't really been as many in January, Um, you know, a couple notable ones, but uh, hopefully that's that's going to be the end of it. Seems like everyone kind of, or a lot of teams kind of got a lot of the uh, worst behind them. You know, I don't, it's hard to speculate, but like just seeing that all the cancellations that happened. And I also think it was easier to kind of wipe some of those games that were non-conference, right? Like there were not as many uh, stakes tied into a lot of them. So hopefully, yeah, like we, we, you know, got things tightened up here in January and fingers crossed the worst is, is behind us. Uh, We'll see. Cause you know, as we'll talk about in a moment here, we got a interesting big 10 race to break down. I know, this might be the first year that we've had like a prolonged title race between our two alma maters here. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Illinois, I think expected to be there. Um, obviously I know Corbello hasn't been around, but you know, Illinois was, you know, one of the top three favorites for sure to start the season. Uh, you know, Michigan state's been a mainstay, but they weren't expected to be there this year. And obviously it's still very early. We're still only a quarter of the way through conference play, but uh, curious to see, um, if those two separate or if it'll be, you know, a few other teams that join them. Yeah, we'll get into it more, but it's interesting. Like two years ago, I think Illinois only finished one game behind. I think they've been in second place two years in a row, um, but it didn't really seem like a chase, right? They, like Michigan State was competing with Maryland and Wisconsin, but like Illinois kind of almost backdoored into a Big Ten title two years ago. So it'll be fun if we can get our uh, this like to be a prolonged kind of bit that we get to do here. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, I hadn't looked at the schedule, but I feel like uh, we definitely play each other late in the year, too, like that either the last weekend or second to last weekend. So I'm hoping that game has a lot of big stakes involved. For sure. And uh, we'll talk more Illini, Spartans coming up. But we do have a Illini on this podcast. Uh, Blake Hayes just jumped off with him. 
really interesting dude. And I knew he was just kind of like following his career in Illinois football closely. And Australian punters tend to have uh, some personality and stories uh, to boot. So um, talk to him was a lot of fun. And as we do with you, you know, try and reflect on the guests, their careers and, and what you remember about Blake Hayes. And we, we kind of talked about this, that despite the fact that he's a punter, right, it seems like a very specialized position, like college punters especially are having a moment right now in the last few years. And, and they really have a chance to market themselves even more so than their NFL counterparts. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I don't think it's uh, outrageous to say that he's the best punter in school history, right? We can, I think we could safely say that based off of it. Illinois had great kickers, kickers, but I can't remember any like punters who were great, you know, or at least that were as uh, noteworthy as, as Hayes has been. Yeah. And he's done it multiple years. Um, like I, he pretty much won a Minnesota game this past year himself. Like, you know, Minnesota couldn't get anything going. And then whenever Illinois would, you know, march down the field, they might get stopped, but then they pin them deep and then they can't get out of that hole. And he was great at that, uh, his whole career. Um, I, I like that you mentioned Australian punters. We got quite a few of them in this league and they're all really good. <laughs> you know, Rutgers has one and Iowa has one. Um, and like you said, they got, got some flair to them, got some swag to them. Uh, so it was definitely fun like to see those personalities come out on the field. It's one of those things you take for granted, right? Like he's gone and you kind of take for granted that you're going to get a, almost every time a great punt um, over the last four to five years. So we'll see what his replacement can do, but uh, definitely be a big loss, especially like you said, when you flip the field like that. Um, and yeah, going to miss Blake Hayes, but I, I have a feeling he'll uh, end up on an NFL roster somewhere. So we will see. Um so H, like we kind of mentioned, it's this time of the year where we turn our attention almost exclusively to, to hoops, but we had this week the college football season wrap up, national championship, pretty entertaining national championship despite a sluggish first half. Um, you know, I was, I was kind of salty. I was going to, I swore that I wasn't really going to watch or pay attention that closely, but it is, uh, you know, it is big time college sports. I'll tune in. So I did watch Alabama and Georgia and it was, uh, you know, one of those bittersweet things like, I, I don't being kind of rivals with the SEC and not taking it too seriously. It's all kind of in good fun. Like it doesn't keep me up at night or anything, but um, I do think it's better for the sport when it's a more national sport as opposed to regional um, like we saw. And, and, you know, the added twist in life that it was in Indianapolis where we have all of our big games. Um, but yeah, I mean, great game, obviously great talent in the field talent that we'll be seeing next couple of years, any overarching takeaways, especially seeing what, um, you know, Georgia did to Michigan and, what we saw, you know, I think across the board is a pretty good year for Big Ten football, but uh, recognizing that it wasn't a year where top of the Big Ten was competing with the likes of those two teams. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly seemed like those two teams were the best two teams. Um, and for most of the season, it played out that way. I think a lot was put into Georgia's loss to Alabama. And I think we overreacted to that a lot, not just us two, but like the media at large uh, to the point that you know, people kind of forgot that Georgia had like an all time great defense. And because on one particular day, the Heisman Trophy winner went crazy. We kind of forgot about all of that. Um, I was really surprised that Michigan's offensive line couldn't hold up. Um, I thought Michigan like that could have been a strength of theirs or at least they would have held their own against that offense, against that defense. But it was a no contest. and against Bama, same thing. I mean, Alabama 
didn't even choose to run the ball. They tried to, you know, throw wide, get the running back involved in screens. And it just kind of shows that that defense and, you know, they blew a lot of teams out all year, even with the 41 they gave up to Alabama the first game. You know, they still were like a, you know, a top five defense over the last 20 years or so. And that's, it was speed all over the field. And we, you know, at the league as a whole had a really good year, but we got work to do to get those kind of athletes and that much depth on the field for our main competitors. Yeah. I don't think Michigan was as, uh, is as behind as they looked in that game in the semifinal. Like, I think it kind of snowballed a little bit. The, they were a little shook and then it just kind of took off from there and they couldn't get anything going. Um, obviously Georgia deserved to win, but you know, you wonder if, if Auburn could have held that lead and Georgia remains number one most of the year, you know, maybe <clears throat> if uh, Michigan gets a draw of another day or Cincinnati in that two, three game, uh, what happens? But again, like the end result is the end result. Um, and like, like you said, I think there, there is some work to do to get a consistent depth, right? Where you got NFL dudes up and down, first round picks up and down, but uh, you know, having a, a team in the playoff, two Heisman finalists, and just in general, you know, a, a breakout year with some of our, our schools, your school in particular, stars across the board. It's a fun season. Uh, hope to be back in a position to compete for the, the title and, and uh, you know, get another semi or get another finalist, uh, you know, back in position to win it all. Because since that 2015 final, we haven't got one uh, under our belts. Yeah, and it's been pretty much Ohio State. I mean, I know both Michigan schools have gotten there, but haven't done much when they've gotten there, at least Ohio State. Uh, won a title and got to another title game. Um, they seem to at least have the blueprint in terms of how to actually get there and compete, even though they've had some struggles as well. Uh, again, they have a lot of five-star talent in a lot of different places, but you know, football, you got to win up front. And we saw against Michigan, they were not good enough up front on either side of the ball. And that's why they didn't get to the playoff this year. And that's why Michigan did but Michigan didn't have enough defensively up front to deal with Georgia. So uh, again, great year. I think we, we see that there's room for improvement for, you know, all of the teams, um, especially like the Michigan's Ohio States, Michigan States, like top 10 finishes first time, all three have finished in the top 10 in the same year. How do you follow that up? We'll see. This will not be the last football discussion we have. Like it never stops as we know pro days will start heating up. I think pro days are, even bigger deal now that COVID kind of forced pro days to be almost ahead of the combine in terms of like eyeballs last year. I think those will continue to just rise in prominence. Uh, combine will come up in a few weeks. The draft obviously is a big deal. So we'll, we'll talk about it. We're not, you know, that's not our specialty, but uh, definitely room to address it. And then today we even had some news with uh, COVID, you know, kind of scrambling schedules as we know in 2020. Big 10 looked at the schedules and adjusted accordingly and, and changed some games around. So um, that was a release on Wednesday, and I just want to know if anything jumps out at you. I know Illinois fans uh, were, I think, relieved not to have to go to Penn State three years in a row, despite winning that nine-overtime game last year. And they get a crossover game at Indiana instead, which is interesting because I feel like Illinois and Indiana rarely play. Uh, that was one of the games that jumped out to me. Anything significant jump out to you from the shift that we saw in the 2022 football schedule? Yeah, there was just a lot of moving parts in general. Um, there were teams that, you know, 
were scheduled to play at home that are now on the road. Like Michigan State was supposed to host Michigan for a second straight year. That's flipped. So now they have to go to Michigan. Um, Indiana is flipped with Michigan and Michigan State. Indiana was supposed to uh, host Michigan State in 22. Now they're going to East Lansing, and it's the inverse for Michigan. Uh, we saw it with Nebraska, Wisconsin, and Purdue as well. Uh, those games are all been flip-flop. Uh, so it was interesting seeing that. And like you mentioned, there was a couple of teams who just completely lost a crossover opponent and replaced them with another one. Um, I think it's a pretty good trade-off to lose Penn State and get Indiana. Um, I know Northwestern uh, wound up having a different opponent as well. Um, I think uh, I think it was uh, they lost. I can't remember. I don't know if it was Northwestern, but I know there was another team that lost an opponent and wound up gaining another one. Uh, I've, I was in, in in schedule, you know what, uh, for the past few days, so it's all kind of jumbled right now. Listen, I can barely project week by week schedules, so when you go through it like that, um, it's already an accomplishment. So do not worry about. If you're enabled, that's right. It was Northwestern. They unfortunately they lost Indiana and got Penn State. So, yeah, that was the issue. As we saw, you know, with this year and everyone expecting Indiana to be, you know, like for example, Cincinnati's marquee opponent, like things change, right? Like what seems like a favorable opponent or matchup could be totally different come fall 22. So, just one of those things. But it is interesting to keep an eye on and and definitely noteworthy whenever there's a arranging of schedules. And I I like that. Seems like. This is kind of a byproduct of the COVID era. It, people are way less hesitant to f- switch scheduling around as opposed to like scheduling something nine years in advance. Yeah, exactly. And I think we're going to see the same thing next year and the year after that because these schedules, you know, they were set up, I believe it was 2018. And then once COVID hit, they had to throw it threw everything out of whack. And so you had to fix the schedule last year. You got to fix it for 22. They'll have to do it again for 23. And so, you know, we're going to see more of these types of games. but it's cool still seeing that the really good non-conference games are on there. Like those haven't changed. And so like, we're still going to get Ohio state Notre Dame week one. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't know if this is the very first game now that we have to look forward to in college football, but uh, Northwestern Nebraska and Ireland is the week zero game. So it'll be one of the first ones and it'll at least have a, uh, your boys week zero as well. Get Wyoming at home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. Again. So, Illinois is becoming the week zero team, Illinois and Nebraska, uh, you know, are owning week zero. So I don't hate it. You know, it's mm-hmm. my ball programs. Yeah, exactly. Rather have a buy, you know, uh, later in the year, to be honest. Um, all right. So good football discussion. Thanks for laying that out. Uh, let's switch to hoops now. And we kind of talked about it, right? Uh, the, the big 10 race is shaping up our quarter of the way through the season. And there are two undefeated teams remaining uh, Michigan state, and Illinois. So, you know, just as this kind of crystallizes here, I think Michigan is, is the obvious surprise. Uh, they've slipped and stumbled early on, and the COVID issues have not helped um, them get any solid footing. And then Purdue a little bit as well, right? They've got two losses. The Wisconsin win was huge, and I think Wisconsin is one of the pleasant surprises. Um, they look like they'll be in this as long as Johnny Davis keeps up this, uh, you know, heroic effort that he's been putting up as a potential not only Big Ten Player of the Year, but National Player of the Year contender. Um, so yeah, what are you what are you looking at as we kind of take stock of the quarter way point into the season, mid January here? Yeah, I thought that you know it was going to be Purdue, and then could anyone catch Purdue? 
and then Purdue slid back a little bit, and then Illinois has been going crazy. But then you look at the Maryland game, and you look at the Nebraska game, and even though they won those games, you know, without Kofi at times, they looked very vulnerable against Maryland, and they needed a late run in Lincoln to kind of put that game away. So maybe they aren't as uh, as formidable as you would think. So it looks like right now there's a five-team race. Um, I hope it winds up playing out that way because that will lead to a lot of fun matchups down the stretch. But it looks like uh, Purdue, Illinois, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Wisconsin are kind of all jockeying for position right now. Um, you know, Ohio State's already got, you know, the big win over Wisconsin, um, shut down Johnny Davis, and then Wisconsin already won at Purdue. So that's a huge win. Wisconsin's done a lot of great work on the road. And Johnny Davis looks like the player of the year right now, so I can't count them out. Um, the guy he's probably fighting with the most is Kofi Coburn, who looks like another you know All-American type season for him. So it, I, it's interesting that you have a EJ Liddell, a Johnny Davis, a Jay Nivey, Travion Williams, a Kofi Coburn leading those four. And then you have just a bunch of guys on Michigan State leading the way there. I mean, Gabe Brown's probably their best player, but I don't know if he's one of the top 10 players in the league right now. So it's just, it's kind of interesting that the race is shaping up and the way it is with different styles. Yeah. I remember just like growing up as a college basketball fan and I would always look at other, it seemed like it was always other um, conferences and, and powerhouses that had players with like eye popping numbers. Like you look back at JJ Redick and Adam Morrison, like they were averaging 28 a game all year going back and forth. And, you know, Anthony Davis on Kentucky and, and Derek Rose on Memphis. And, and just it seemed like those, those dudes were, you know, outside the league. But, like, this year, the Big Ten has uh, at least four or five, you know, like first-team All-American certified candidates, like, right now, especially when you see, you know, guys that you maybe expected to be there, like Drew Timmy, guys like that, that haven't maybe been as dominant as you th- would have thought to this point in the year. Um, but it's crazy, right? Like, a guy like EJ Liddell, I noticed he's averaging three blocks a game, like on top of his other stats, which are absurd. Like that, that to me as a six, seven dude is, is ridiculous. Um, but you're right. You got Kofi, Johnny Davis, Liddell. You mentioned the Purdue guys who probably are just outside that conversation right now, but as the season goes along, we'll probably enter back into it with Travion and, and Ivy. Um, and TJD is another guy who, you know, is it figures to be in that first team, all big 10, discussion as the season goes along and Hunter Dickinson's having a good year, even though Michigan is, is sliding right now. So yeah, I just feel like we're seeing numbers too, that kind of we're entered in the stratosphere by Luca Garza, you know, the last few years, like he was always kind of the forefront and like putting up numbers we hadn't seen scoring wise. And now we got multiple guys averaging 23, 24 a game when, you know, a lot of times you see at the leaderboards, it being like a max ace miss, right. Or some guy that's from, Oral Roberts or Davidson or somewhere like that leading. And no, now it's like big 10 dudes are leading the country in scoring. So I don't know. Have we seen anything like this? Like, I just can't remember as a fan seeing so many guys at the top of the scoring column like we have now. Yeah, it's pretty wild that, uh, you know, we got three to top five um, in terms of points per game nationally. And Keegan Murray still leads it. He's almost at 25. And I know for a while, they were one, two, three with Murray, uh, Johnny Davis, and Coburn. 
So Davis and Coburn have slid to four and five, but they're still both uh, at 22 points a game. So it is pretty crazy seeing that, um, you know, especially for Wisconsin. I mean, I knew Johnny Davis would be pretty good. I definitely didn't see this. Um, and Wisconsin's just not a team where they rely on one guy to get a whole bunch of buckets. It's, it's usually a system thing, or if they do have a dominant player, it's usually a big. Uh, we haven't really seen a dominant Wisconsin guard in a long time, and they haven't had a guard average 20 since Michael Finley, and you're going back to, you know, mid-90s for that. So, you know, it's just it's very interesting to see that. Uh, Keegan Murray, like you said, we, we've seen it with Iowa, with Luka, but even going back to Peter Jock, like they just get scores. Like they just get guys that get buckets. And, you know, this is another guy that's going to be averaging 20 for them. And it'll be interesting. Like we, we always talk about, you know, standings race and player to year race. But now we got to look at scoring title too. you know, see if we can have a Big Ten player um, actually win it. Yeah, it'll be exciting to watch. Just looking at, you know, the immediate week or two here ahead. We've got some huge games in that Big Ten race. It'll kind of even – shake it up a little more potentially. I mean, you guys got uh, Wisconsin and Illinois back-to-back coming up, which will which will be huge. Um, Ohio State and Wisconsin play tomorrow, I believe, so Thursday. Um, so it'll be probably done by the time this episode comes out this week. Uh, and then Illinois got Purdue on MLK Day. So a bunch of big matchups. Um, I don't know if you circled any that you are must-see TV for you, but all these sound pretty juicy. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, Illinois Purdue, I think, is going to be very interesting just because both like to play through their bigs and, you know, Kofi's pretty much had his way with everyone and I is going to face, you know, Trevion Williams and Zach Eady. So you're just kind of curious to see, you know, how that'll how that'll work, how that'll play out. Um, it might be they might cancel each other out and then whichever guards play better between Ivy and Plummer. And, you know, maybe Hunter slash Thompson and Frazier, you know, that court might wind up deciding that game. Um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that because even though Illinois is 25th in the AP, I feel like most people think that, you know, they're top 10 talent and probably a top two or three favorite to win the league. So, you know, their ranking definitely doesn't match, uh, you know, their, their talent level so or their advanced stats. So I'm really curious to see. Uh, with Illinois, Purdue, you know, it's a game Purdue out of they could afford to lose either. Um, you know, you dropped that game against Rutgers. They looked vulnerable against Penn State. You've already lost to Wisconsin. If you wind up, you know, falling three games back, you know, this early, like that, that could be trouble. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Illinois, like you mentioned, being probably better than the 25th ranking. I, I just think that's kind of them being 25th. It's kind of more playing into trends of how voters have their habits, right? Like they will probably glance at it every week, see who lost, see who won, move them in and out. But it showed the Arizona game. They had three losses after that, and they just mm-hmm. kind of forgot about them. Showed a graphic during the uh, game on Big Ten Network on Tuesday night, the Nebraska game, and it was kind of like the net side-by-side of the AP, and Illinois' net was 10, AP 25, and all the other ones were kind of more or less accurate in the Big Ten as, as far as where they should be. Um, some were a little overrated in the AP, but it, it the biggest discrepancy for sure was – where uh, Illinois is ranked. And um, honestly, like just the way trends have gone, the Michigan state, I think is, is has Illinois fans more uneasy than Purdue, for example, just cause like, I think Purdue has been a good matchup for Illinois over the last few years. Like Purdue's definitely improved and Illinois lost more. Purdue's kept their core together tighter from this year to last, but 
Um, you know, Michigan State has given them way more problems, and Purdue is not really the last couple of years. So same with Wisconsin. Illinois kind of dominated Wisconsin and and Purdue. Um, probably will be a different story this year, but Michigan State, you know, is is has had their number, and it seems like Illinois had their number when Illinois was down for multiple years at a time. So that that's what's intriguing to me. And that game, I think it's on the 25th will be a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that. And you're right. Like, you know, Michigan state was able to get into the tournament, you know, based off of beating them last year, you know, that was a huge win for them. Um, and I think just kind of the way that they play, they, they don't double Kofi. They just kind of let him do his thing. And, you know, if you, you know, get 30, but it takes you 25 shots to do it. So be it. We'll try to shut everybody else down. Um, and I think the thing that's interesting with Michigan State is like Gabe Brown is turned into a constant, but the rest of those guys, you don't know what you're going to get. So Tyson Walker might hit you with 15. It might be Max Christie. It might be Joey Hauser. It might be Malik Hall. Like you, it might, could be AJ Hogarth. Like you don't know where the production's coming from. You know, usually you can key in on a couple guys. And, all right. And if we take these guys away, then, you know, we'll be fine. But you know, Michigan State, they throw a bunch of guys at you. They're really, really balanced on offense. And so it's, I feel like it's much harder to game plan for them. All right, so who do you kind of feel best about in this uh, second group before we wrap up, right? You got your Indiana, uh, can Michigan turn it around? Penn State and Minnesota. Uh, you know, Minnesota obviously has the, the better record. Penn State has had some nice performances lately and pushed some better teams to the brink. Iowa's in there as well. Um, and, you know, I'm going to leave Northwestern Maryland and Nebraska in that – a lot of work to do tier because they have, uh, you know, especially Maryland 0 and 4 out of the gate. Uh, Northwestern has had some flashes, and then Nebraska's stacking way more L's than I think they thought they'd have at this point of the year. So, um, who in that second group kind of stands out is like, all right, feel good about them getting the tournament. I think Indiana has got enough for sure, um, and might even, you know, make a push in the second group. They're they're kind of sitting at three and two right now, and have had some nice wins and some head scratchers. So. Uh, I don't know. Any, anyone stand out among the the middle kind of mesh of teams here? Uh, I'd say Iowa, Indiana stick out the most for those two. And ironically enough, they play Thursday. Uh, so we'll get to see them. I like them both for their strengths. Uh, Indiana really, really guards people. I mean, we saw that against Ohio State. It held them to 51 points, completely took EJ Liddell out of the game, held Minnesota to 60. The fact that they could honestly be undefeated. You know, they had a double overtime loss to Syracuse. They blew a big lead at Wisconsin, and they had a very winnable game against Penn State that they let get away, and those are their three losses. Um, so they, they certainly could be undefeated. Imagine what the conversation would be if they won two of those and they're sitting here at 14-1. and one. They're probably somewhere inside the top 20, and we're talking about them totally differently. Um, I think that Mike Woodson's done a good job, you know, kind of making defense be their identity. And they have a star in TJD. And I like that Mike Woodson's able to basically just call him out. Like, look, what you're doing is not good enough. And we need more out of you. And But he's, like, taking to that criticism. And he's not taking it personally. And I feel like that can set them up, you know, for the dog days of February where we've seen them struggle to get over the hump. I think the fact that, you know, a culture is being set there will set them up uh, to get to the tournament for the first time in a while. And Iowa, conversely, we know they can score on anybody. And Keegan Murray, as we talked about, is the nation's leading scorer. And I think – I don't think they could compete for the league title, but I think they'll win enough games to make the tournament pretty comfortably. All right, last question. You think Michigan's going to figure this out enough to get in the tournament? Obviously a 
top five team coming out of the gates and a Big Ten title contender in everyone's minds. Um, really rough start, but they have a lot of talent. You think it's going to be enough to steady the ship a little bit? Uh, they do have a lot of talent. I, if they can't reschedule those games, I'm going to say no. Um, they need big wins. They don't have a quad one win. I think they have one quad one and quad two win. They're seven and six right now. If this Illinois game doesn't get played and they can't reschedule that, that's losing Michigan State, Purdue, and Illinois three major, major chances to get wins with two of those being at home. Um, if they can't make those up, they have to go on the road and find a way to beat some of these teams. And I think the losses could just pile up at that point. And I don't know if they'd have enough to get over the hump. They really don't have a good point guard right now. And I think that's affecting everything else. Um, Hunter Dickinson hasn't been as efficient defensively. They haven't been as good. And, you know, if they're just trying to get over, you know, COVID issues, I don't know if that's enough time to turn it around and, you know, get through this tough league. Do you know, so if they can't reschedule those games, and I'm still working through the protocols here, I know they announced a change recently. Are those forfeits then, or is that a no contest? I think it's going to be a no contest. Originally, I believe they were saying it could be a forfeit, but I think they wound up changing it to being a no contest. Um, So it could be a situation, again, where we have to go off a win percentage, and I'm sure you know all about that from a year ago. Um, So I hope it's not that way. Like, I hope it's not where, you know, Illinois plays 19 and Michigan State plays 18 and, you know, Purdue plays 19 and we have to figure out, you know, everyone has the same amount of wins, but the winning percentage is different. I hope we don't run into a situation like that. Right. All right. Well, a long way to go before we have to worry about any of that. Um, and glad to kind of check in and take the pulse here. Appreciate it, H. We'll hop off for now and, uh, you know, watch some of these big games unfold the rest of the week. Thursday night should be a lot of fun for sure. And um, like I said, that next week will be fun as well with a, some unique MLK day matchups. I haven't really had those before and some daytime basketball. That'll be cool. Um, and we should be back on next week. So going to need your expertise. I'm going to need to lean on you pretty soon again here. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Like you said, we'll, we'll get a little bit more clarity with a lot of these big matchups happening over the next few days. So should be a lot to talk about when we talk again. All right. Talk soon. All right. Thanks once again to Harold and Blake for joining the show. Appreciate those guys. Harold, as always, and Blake jumping on for the first time. Um, interesting discussion with Blake and always good to chat with Harold and catch up. Hopefully we have a couple more episodes coming at you <clears throat> to keep track of the Big Ten basketball uh, progress, at least to the end of the month here and, and going forward to the end of the season. I know we'll have a couple more um, hopefully next week and the week following just to build a constant cadence here of episodes and get back into a rhythm with the new year. So appreciate everyone for tuning in. Thanks to Julie Bronder for stitching the show together. And uh, just a quick reminder that if you were tuning in and have not done so already, you can subscribe to the take 10 podcast on Google podcasts, uh, Apple podcasts and Spotify. We are also on YouTube as well. So you can see the guests on video see me interviewing them um, on the Big Ten Network YouTube channel. Search Take 10 Podcast. There is a playlist available that is a host for all these episodes. So we are visual and audio um, strong here on the Take 10 Podcast. All right. 
like I said, we'll be coming back at you soon. So until then, take care. And we will uh, talk to you very soon here on Take 10 Podcast.